can I pray with you for just a moment as we start? How we thank you for that prayer, Lord Jesus, that was just read in John chapter 17, your high priestly prayer. And we recognize your work that's laid out for us in that chapter. We recognize the call you have on each person's life, not just individually, but on us as a church. And so we would surrender to that. We would welcome your um, work in our life to that end. And so would you anoint us and fill us as we continue to look into your word in these next moments for your glory and honor. Amen. This is us. This is the series of messages we've been doing throughout the summer. Today is the last of nine messages that we've done on the biblical values that we have here at UDAC, the things that just sort of naturally arise out of Scripture that we want to be about as a church. And the, the things that we looked at in no particular order is the Word of God, that's one high value we have here, worship, discipleship, giving, missions, community. And then I decided to do prayer in three parts. And so we actually launched this series with one sermon, and then we're bookending on prayer, and then we're bookending this series with two on prayer as well. And so the three on prayer were Search Me from Psalm 139, they were Break Me from Mark chapter 14, and this morning we're going to talk about Send Me. And if you've been paying attention all throughout the service, this has been the theme that's been shared over and over again. What I've been saying through these three sermons is that I believe many of our prayers are way too safe. Way too safe. There's nothing safe about these three prayers. Search me, break me, send me. Search me in Psalm 139, if you remember, talks about God, you know, search my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. Know my anxious thoughts. And that, that, you know, the things that we fear the most really correlate with the places where we trust God the least. Lead me in the way everlasting, the psalm says. And then break me last week. We talked about breaking me of anything that keeps me going from going into the deep end with God. Anything at all. Would you break those things in me? And predominantly, would you break me of me? so that I can go into the deep end with you and swim the places you want me to swim. And today we're going to, and I'm going to borrow this phrase from someone, we're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to pray, a prayer of availability. A prayer of availability. Send me. Send me. You know, one of the things I've noticed is when we get prayer requests, which we really appreciate when you send prayer requests in, and there's prayer ministry that prays through those, and we pray through them during the week, and there's a box at the info desk where you can write prayer requests, or you can take one of those blue cards in the chair in front of you and say, would you pray for me about this? We're, we're honored to pray for this, and this is a good thing to do. But one of the things I've noticed is that oftentimes those prayer requests are all about, God, would you do this for me? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's part of the Lord's Prayer that we prayed 
just a few moments ago, God, give me this day my daily bread. So God wants us to give and pray those things that we need from him and invite us others to pray for those as well. So I've noticed, though, that predominantly these are the prayer requests. Would you find me a job? Would you help me in school? Would you heal this? Would you do that? And again, great things to pray for. But can I suggest a dangerous twist to that? How about instead of focusing on God, would you do this for me? How about praying this way? God, what could I do for you? See, that's a bit of a dangerous twist. What could I do for you? God, I'm your servant. And I want to be available for whatever it is you might call me to do. A prayer of availability. Now, can I just be real upfront with you? God could direct you in a lot of different ways. He might lead you to another city. He might lead you to another job. He might give you a calling that you really hadn't expected. He may lead you to break up with the person that you're dating right now. It's a bit dangerous to pray that way. But here's the thing that's so neat about Bible and about relationship with God. He can be trusted. He can be trusted. That's the only one you can really trust with that kind of prayer. 100% trust. And all through the Bible, all through the Older Testament and the Newer Testament, God is calling people. And there's all kinds of responses in the scriptures where God is calling people and people respond in a variety of ways. And I want to talk to you about three different responses that we see in Scripture. Like I said, there's more than three, but there's three different responses I want to talk to you about in response to this dangerous prayer. So if you have your Bible, the first one, we're just going to take a snippet in the book of Jonah. Jonah is found in one of what's called the Minor Prophets, towards the latter part of the Old Testament. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, and then Micah. And it's just a little wee four-chapter book, Jonah chapter 1. And Jonah, when we talk about a minor prophet, that, just, that doesn't mean he wasn't a, really used of God. It's just the scope of his ministry was fairly limited. That's all minor means. And so in the book of Jonah, God puts a call on Jonah's life. And here is Jonah's prayer in response. Here am I. I am not going. And this is one of the responses that we can pray when God puts a call on our life. Here am I. I am not going. And so in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, it just says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, geographically, that's to the north and east, the, city, the nation of Assyria at that time, and the capital city of Assyria. He says, go to the capital city, the great city of Assyria, the city of Nineveh, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He goes in the exact opposite direction. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port, and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. 
Now, there's a variety of reasons that he did this, and I did a big series of messages on Jonah. I'm not going to go into all of them, but one of them is, is these were very dangerous people, and they might have ripped him limb from limb. They like to do those kind of things, literally. Also, he knows God's an incredibly merciful God, and when he calls on these people to repent, he's going, they're probably going to repent, and I don't want them to because they're the sworn enemies of my people. And I don't want them to repent. I want God to get them. His heart was not in the right place. And you know, if you want to read a great missions-minded book in the Older Testament, it's the book of Jonah. It's the greatest missionary book in the Old Testament. And in it, we're deeply reminded that God loves all the peoples of the world, not just some people. We're told in 2 Peter that he's not willing that any should perish. He loves all the peoples of the world. And so Jonah hears this call from God, and he says, Here am I, God. I am not going. And he runs the other way. Can I just ask you, have you ever done that? I've done that. Where you just knew God has told you uh, and prompted you to do something. You know, it wasn't an audible voice like probably what was going on here. Once in a while, God will do that. Not very often. But you just clearly knew that he has called you to something. He's given you what I might call a sustained impression. I am supposed to do this. I'm supposed to go to this place. I'm supposed to say this thing. I'm supposed to interact with this person. I'm supposed to give this thing, whatever the case is. And the response of you or me, was, here my God, there is no way I'm going to do that. There's been a few times in my life when I've done that. I told this story uh, 12, 15 years ago, so most of you haven't heard it. When I was 18 years old, I had just finished high school, and uh, I was getting ready to go and get my undergrad to get ready to become a pastor. And I know God had called me when I was 16 years old to be a pastor. There was no doubt in my mind. And I ended up getting one of those great summer jobs working at the co-op dairy on the ice cream assembly line. I've seen more ice cream in my life, enough to sink a battleship. Anyway, so I'm working with these guys around this stainless steel table doing stuff with ice cream. And these were some hardened individuals, let me put it that way very colorful bunch, and one of them says to me, in front of all the others, for the first week or so, they, wouldn't e- they didn't even want to know my name. They were really friendly as well. Didn't want to know my name. Um, but eventually, they picked up on my name, and uh, after I'd been working there for a while, one of them says to me, why would you want to do what you're about to do? And I froze. couldn't answer. I choked up. I completely blew it. I know you're finding this hard to imagine that Scott didn't have anything to say, but I completely blew it. And I knew that God wanted me to talk to them. There was no doubt in my mind. I had an answer prepared, but I I wouldn't do it. And I was afraid. And I worked that summer. I left During my first year of school, God talked to me extensively about that. 
And I said, I'm, I'm so sorry, Lord. And I repented of that opportunity um, that I didn't take. And the thing is, is uh, then I said, would you give me another chance? And, you know, the cool thing about our God <laughs> is he's the God of the second chance. And the next summer, long story, but I was able to go back to the co-op. And I sat down with Daryl. Daryl had dark hair and glasses. We called him goggles because he had really thick glasses. And it was very humbling. I remember this. And I said to him, remember last summer when you asked me about that and I sputtered and I spit in the ice cream or whatever, didn't say anything. And he kind of went, oh, no big deal. Uh, I said, I, I really blew it with you. And I'm going to, I'd like you, would you forgive me for that? Because I could tell you actually wanted to know. The other ones just thought it was funny. But you, you wanted to know. And I, I didn't honor you. Would you forgive me for that? And he went, oh, he got all kind of, you know, this is a weirdo in front of him. But he kind of said, I said, would you give me another chance? And he said, yes. And, and I was able to share with Daryl about why um, I was heading the way I was. When we fail, God's in the business of second chances when we own our stuff, when we humble ourselves. And eventually, if you know the story, Jonah humbled himself. Uh, didn't have a lot of choice, I guess, in a sense. But he humbled himself, he did. And he went and did what call, God called him to do. Then there was some other bumps in the road for Jonah and some twists. But he did get a second chance. Here am I. I am not going. That's one response. The second response is the response of Moses. And his prayer is this. Here am I. Send somebody else. If you know backstory at all about Moses, let me just remind you, or if this is new to you, let me just share it with you. God spends 80 years, eight zero years, preparing him for a mission. For the first 40 years of Moses' life, he's raised in the palace of Egypt, the greatest nation in the world at that time. He is given the finest education there is in the world available. He knows multiple languages. He would study philosophy. He studied architecture. He studied how to be a great military leader. During his 40 years, as he would go through this, those first 40 years, as he would go through the streets, the people would chant his name. He was a total rock star, incredibly gifted, led huge armies of men to great victories, was in charge of huge building projects that he oversaw. Success, 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 over and over and over. He could inspire the people. Then some things happened, and I won't go into all of that, but some things happened, and he had to run for his life from the palace out to the wilderness for another 40 years, the second 40 years. And he's out in the wilderness for 40 years looking after sheep. And the, the big idea there was there was some things he still needed to learn that he would never learn in the palace. Never learn as the people were chanting his name. 
And there's some lessons we never learn in the palace. We can only learn in the wilderness. But after 80 years, he has a supernatural encounter. And I mean a literal supernatural encounter with the supernatural God in the book of Exodus. And he's shepherding one day and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush that's on fire but not being consumed. And as he goes to check it out, God says to him, take your sandals off, you're on holy ground. And he bows down before God. And God puts a call on his life. And we read about it in the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. You can read the whole story in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to just read one verse. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. God says to him, so now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Egyptians out of Egypt? See, Moses knew that this was a fulfillment of a prophetic word. Long before that, we've been told that the people of Israel would be enslaved for 400 years. 400 years had come. And God was tapping him on the shoulder and saying, you're going to be the leader that brings them out under me. Moses knew this was supposed to happen. There was no ambiguity. He knew black and white, I am supposed to do this. And here's his response. Here am I, send somebody else. Send my brother. That's what Ed got, you know, he's still the main leader, but Aaron becomes the mouthpiece for Moses. And there's all kinds of trouble that arises because of that later. So some of us are here, and God taps us and says, I want you to go do this. And here's our response. I'm not talented enough. I'm not good enough. I know you, God, know, I know you know me better than I know myself, but... I'm not good enough. And we often do this, don't we? I'm not going to give what God has called on me to give because that person over there, I think they have more money than me and they can do it more readily than I can. Or I don't have the time. You have no idea how, much, how busy I am. And I think that person over there, they have more availability than I do. Or they're better equipped or whatever the excuse is. And we say, here am I, God. Send somebody else. And so Jonah says, here am I. I am not going. Moses says, here am I. Send somebody else. And now our third little vignette. Isaiah, one of the major prophets, and just major because the scope of his ministry was quite significant, quite broad. He has an encounter with God, too. And in this encounter, he prays a very dangerous prayer. We read about it in the book of Isaiah, which is just to the right of center in your Bibles. If you come to Psalms, just keep going a little bit to the right. You'll come to the book of Isaiah. And it says in chapter 6, verse 8, Isaiah is speaking, Then I heard of the voice, a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? By the way, that's a Trinitarian 
reference right there. Then the Lord, one, in the singular, says, Whom shall, who will go for us? Plural. There is one God, one essence, who expresses himself in three distinct persons. Over and over through the Bible, this Trinitarian doctrine is given. Who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. I want you to notice a couple of things about this prayer. Notice what he didn't pray. He didn't say, so where do you want to send me, Lord? I want to evaluate if that's a good place to go or not. He didn't say, uh, is the climate nice there? What kind of restaurants do they have? I really like Italian food. What's the cost of living? What's the pay raise? What's the range? What's the benefits? No, he just prays this way. God, I've got this contract in front of me, and it's totally blank. It's just my name on it. And I'm going to sign it, and you can fill in all the details. Friends, that is a very dangerous prayer to pray. And I'm going to challenge you this morning, if you haven't already, pray a dangerous prayer like that. Let me give you a sample of a prayer that I will often pray. Something like this. You don't have to do it exactly like me, but this gives you an idea. God, I want to give you my mind today. I want to give you my eyes. I want to give you my mouth. May I speak this day only what you want me to speak. May I hear only what you want me to hear. May I have the wisdom to reject that which is not true. Because there's a thousand people running around contradicting each other, all saying they have the truth. How does this line up with Scripture or not align with Scripture? Here are my hands, God. May they be used to build your kingdom. Here are my feet. Would you only lead me today where you want me to go? Send me. I dare you to pray that prayer. I dare you. God, you have my full permission today to interrupt me. You want me to go somewhere? I will drop everything and go. You want me to say something to someone? I'll say it. You want me to be quiet and pray? I will. You want me to give something away? In a radical way, I'll do it. Whatever you need, I'm in. Your servant is ready. Wow, that's a dangerous prayer. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to guarantee you something. If you sincerely start praying prayers like that, he will interrupt you. He will interrupt you. He probably won't ask you to climb Mount Everest the first day, but there's going to be things that start coming and you're going, oh, God, God wants me to do this. And then it's decision time. Will I do it? And when we pray this kind of prayer, it begins to change us. So how do we get to that place? I want to just take a few minutes to walk you through the context of Isaiah's prayer. 
because there's three things that go on in that passage that set the context so that he can pray this incredibly dangerous prayer. And so let me read to you from verses 1 to 8 in Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, you know, the Bible is a historical book. There's all kinds of history in here. It's not just some story that's floating around in the clouds. This is why they make these historical, factual statements that can be checked. So here I'm, I'm Isaiah, and I'm working, and I'm ministering during the time when King Uzziah was king. And it's actually in the year that he died. I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his temple filled the temple. Above him were seraphims, seraphims, each with six wings. Two, with two wings they covered their face, with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were call, calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We sang a song like that earlier in the service. This is a Trinitarian reference again. The one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. See, they get this in heaven, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I'm ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then... That's a significant word. After verses 1 through 7, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And so there's three things that happens in this passage before he prays this very dangerous prayer, send me. And the first one is he has this experience with God. He has this experience with God. He saw the presence of God. He saw God in all his majesty and glory. And these angelic-type beings are there worshiping and praising God and crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the triune God. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is transformed by this experience with God. And he makes himself, and he's willing to be, fully available to God. Let me just pause and say, it may be that we're not really willing to be available to God because we haven't recently experienced the presence of God. You know, we're just holding on to something that happened in 1989. Well, I had this deep experience with God. I hope that's going to last until I die. And that's never what... Bible intends. His mercies are new every morning. He wants us to have a growing 
healthy, discipleship-based relationship with him that's then bringing others along. And instead, um, we have a very casual approach to our relationship with God. But can I just say, what happens when we have this casual approach, is what happens is the things that are really important to God that he talks about in here, they don't become very important to us. We kind of, eh, about them. And so scripture says, when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So I don't know what you need to do. Maybe you need to go away. It depends on who you are. Maybe you need to go away to a quiet place. Maybe you need to go walking in the mountains. Maybe you need to get in a room, just put some worship music on um, and with the Bible open, reading it. Um, maybe you need to go on a prayer walk. Maybe you need to be um, praying with your six-year-old at night, talking to them about the things of God. And as they're going to sleep, you're praying over them. And you just know God is there with you as you're modeling the things of God before your kids and praying with your child. See, as we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And as that's going on in our life, we're working up to the place where we can pray the prayer of availability. Then in verse 5, there's this awareness of his sinfulness. There's an awareness of our sinfulness. See, the culture, <laughs> the culture wants to tell us we're good people. Oh, we're such good people. We deserve everything. And everyone's approach to life, as I referenced a few minutes ago, is equally valid. You know? You can have all these viewpoints that are in direct contradiction to one another, and it's all good. Because that's what an evolved society does. It's nonsense, right? But this passage reminds us very clearly that compared to holy God, without Christ, that every one of us has done sinful things. And I'm going to go further. Every one of us has done evil. Every one of us has done wickedness. Every one of us. And that's why verse 5, when he has this encounter with God, he's wrecked. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And he's reminded, and this is something I often say, we're never compared to other people. We're compared to holy God. This is why he's totally wrecked, ruined. And so he's got, you know, eyes wide open awareness of his sinfulness in comparison to God. And it's a very humbling thing and even a painful process. And so he continues to move towards the prayer of availability. And this is absolutely crucial too. Number three, there's an understanding of God's grace. There's an understanding and an appreciation and an appropriation of God's grace. We see this in six and seven. 
Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my lips and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So the coal touches his lips, and this is symbolic of God's healing power. One touch of God's atoning work in our life through Christ changes everything. And so our prideful lips, our touch, we're forgiven. Our lustful eyes, our touch, and we're forgiven. Our lying lips, our touch, and we're forgiven. Our rage is touched, and we're forgiven. Every secret sin that we think nobody else knows about, but God knows about completely, every secret sin that we confess is forgiven. The Bible says that God separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he never brings it up again. And so, you know anything about the tenses of the verbs in the original languages? Salvation is written in a tense that it it happens once and then it has long-term implications, eternal implications. But then there's this, so there's this already and then there's all the, also the idea of the not yet, which we often see in Scripture. So we go through life, and it's, it's a one time, and yet it's also a process. And whenever that process is referred to, the tense of the verb is something that happens and keeps on happening. And so Jesus walks with us each day, and he's shaping us and transforming us. And he says, I will fill you with my spirit to empower you to do this. And he takes us on the journey with Jesus as we daily offer our lives to him. And it's a daily decision to take up our cross. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, you can read in chapter 1, there's this one time. And then in two chapters later, in chapter 3, verse 18, it talks about us, we are being transformed. And this is the theological concept of the already and not yet. And this is why Paul says, I die daily. doesn't mean I physically die. It means I'm dying to myself. I've broken, I'm being, like we talked about last night, last week, break me of me. And it's no longer me who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And when we are operating in the presence of God, when we are deeply aware of our sinfulness, our wickedness before holy God, and then we're fully living and basking in the grace that he offers, that he never brings it up again, and we are completely released from that, then we pray the prayer of availability. Here am I. Send me. Now, some of us are reticent to pray a prayer like that, and I, you know, I can't prove this, but just anecdotally, you know, that we're afraid if I pray a prayer like this, he's going to send me to some far-off land that I've never, I'm going to have to look up on, the, on an atlas because I don't even know where it is. I'm going to be honest with you, he might, he might, but much more likely is he's going to call you to be a missionary right where you work. Because, and just be reminded of this, 
That's every bit as important and every bit as holy as the person who sends to that place that you got to look up on the atlas because you have no idea where it is. Every bit as important, every bit as holy as Curtis and Linda Dole, who are down in Ciudad del Este's Paraguay this morning, or Rachel Metellus, who's in North Africa, or uh, Christy Hoff that Aaron prayed for earlier that's in Nigeria. Every bit is important, every bit is holy. To serve the people, it's most likely he will ask you to serve the people who are sitting right in front of you. To be faithful what you've already been entrusted with. No guarantees, but that's most likely. And it's never about the amount of sacrifice you're giving. It's always about the, the level, the actual mount versus level. And there's the faithfulness and the obedience. Search me, break me, send me. Those are three prayers that are high values in University Drive Alliance Church. This is what we want to be about. We want to pray dangerous prayers. We want to be praying prayers that unless God comes through, we're hooped totally. Totally hooped. So what I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to pray that prayer. What we're going to do is I'm just going to have some silent prayer for a couple of moments. And just allow you, because I can't do this for you, and I'm going to be doing it myself, okay, down here in Santa Rosa. Just pray. Invite God to be at work in your life along the lines of what we've talked about. And uh, I don't remember how we're ending. You're going to play some music right when we're done. Right, okay, I forgot. <laughs> okay, so let's bow and pray. And pray privately with